Hi guys, it's Laura with the trigger warnings for this episode. We today discuss depression and graphic violence. Uh, so please take care of yourselves and enjoy the episode. Entrails. No hissing. This is the closest we will ever come to love. Hey look, it's, hey, a, look, butterfly. it's a butterfly. It's a Okay, Laura, take it away. Hey, welcome to Reading Rainbow. Woo! The podcast where we read books that you're supposed to read in high school or middle school and talk about what we think they were, if they were worth it, were they really, were they not? Anyway, um, I am one of your hosts, Laura, and then this person over here, who's that? You? Yes, you. I am Alora, and I am the co-host yes. as well, the other host. Yes. And who is this third person here? Hello, hello. This is Maya. Um, I'm a longtime friend of Laura. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah, woo! We're so excited. We get another guest who is so excited to be here. And it's astounding that we have <laughs> listeners, astounding we have guests. It's just amazing. I will also say, Maya, you are the first guest of season three. I am Maybe honored. even the last. I'm honored. <laughs> what? We don't know what the future holds. <laughs> who are you as a reader, Maya? Also, what are your pronouns? <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, my pronouns are she, they, no preference, either or is totally fine. Um, as a reader, I've been like a, I was like that kid, um, the like nerdy bookworm kid growing up. So this has just been like my Ooh. whole life. Current Maya is uh, very much uh, romance and like low fantasy and low sci-fi. Like I don't want to have to think too hard, but I don't want to be in our world. Yeah. So like anywhere we can meet in the middle, that's like my sweet spot um i am also a book talker we can talk more about that like at another time um i'll like yeah plug my mess later but that's like probably important for <laughs> my qualifications to be here <laughs> uh yeah no you're probably the most qualified overqualified of the three well, of one us. most qualified and then also just overqualified yeah, of even the co-host here. Oh, God, mm-hmm. I, that's not what I would say. <laughs> that might be exaggeration. <laughs> um, but, yes, I'm happy to be here. Well, so that being said, um, you selected the book for this episode. It is... The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Yes. Yes. And how did you go about selecting this book? Um, I selected this book because I think one day Laura and I were on FaceTime and we were talking about this podcast um, and all of the books that we read. And I said that the only one that I think I remember clearly and remember actually enjoying was The Hunger Games. Um, And it was like a shock that this was a book that was assigned to me in high school um, because I I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, we're very used to the classics. Um, And this was... Again, I think the first book that I remembered and enjoyed in high school um, from a teacher that I really enjoyed learning from. Um, and uh, just it's been a while since I've read a dystopian because they were so popular, like in that era of the early mm. 2000s. And I read so many that I haven't read them in a while. So the opportunity to reread this was really just an excuse to be like that kid again. Yes, it is. It is also something that I have 50,000 thoughts about. So I'm thrilled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, we will get into it. Yeah. I'm still, I love that you loved a dystopian. I've not 
really I could not say I liked a dystopian. I've enjoyed them, but I don't I'm not a dystopian person. <laughs> I really liked dystopians and then it got to a point where I was just like now it's too much mental energy to put myself in this other world because mm-hmm. I'm just trying to survive this one, y'all. <laughs> just kidding, it's fine. No, um, truly, I think I think I grew up with a certain um distrust and uh to, with authority i have to this day have authority mm. issues mm-hmm. so dystopians just kind of spoke to the me that like didn't trust the government or my teachers at the age of 14 i was a very you know teen angst oh, yeah. all of my teen angst was oh, directed at the state and so <laughs> um so these really drew me the institutions in. yes the oh the institutions i was like this 15 year old anarchist it's embarrassing to think about now but <laughs> yes they spoke to me i love that i think that i i was just very anxious as anxious as i am now i was very anxious as a middle school (laughs) high schooler um and i didn't like dystopians because that they were so bleak and negative um especially because we think we talked about this a bit in 1984 i just didn't like it it was freaking me out there was a torture scene um so i kind of tended to avoid the dystopians um, I have a slightly yeah. different, I'm not, I'm not not anxious now, but I can kind of <laughs> handle them in a different way and see their merits a lot more um, now that I've gotten over that, like, ooh, skeebies. Well, yeah, and like, like you were saying, Maya, the, because I would say 1984 and um, what's Anthem by Ayn or whatever. <laughs> okay. um, like, those are the dystopians <laughs> I remember having to read for school, and they're, I would say, a different genre of dystopian than the Hunger Games is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it is like your classic dystopian, which I would not, I didn't, I like dystopians, but I did not like 1984. The Giver was like a little more like teetering that line between, you know, the spectrum of Anthem mm. and the Hunger Games, where it was a little more fun and whimsical, but like, but like those to me are like boring. But then you have like Divergent mm-hmm. and like the Hunger Games and uh, other ones that I'm not remembering, but matched the selection yes sorry i have an encyclopedia you know. that i uh-huh. read nothing See, this is why you're those in like ninth grade yes um and so it's funny that you, when we talk about them in terms of other dystopians is actually like why this book was assigned to me it was a like optional summer read the summer before ninth grade um and so I had just picked it up for that reason. And then when we started school in ninth grade, the first book we read, we had the option of, we could pick out of like six books and all of them were dystopians. And you could only read Catching Fire was one of the options. You could only read it if you read The Hunger Games for school over the summer. Um, And all of the other options were like 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. And I think like The Alchemist, which might actually not be a dystopian. I don't know, I haven't read it. But but so yeah, and so I was just thrilled uh that I had read this book because I was like I you I don't want to read 1984 I don't those they not for me um but I think that's why it was really cool that my teacher put this in here because this was kind of the only YA book that we read through all of um like this and Catching Fire were like the only YAs that we read all throughout high school which is wild that like we're assigning books to students that are not written for their age group um and so um I think that's why I was like so excited to read this and like to because like 1984 was not written for 14 year olds we can keep forcing it on them um and getting mad at them when they don't get it or when they're not invested in it but like he didn't write it for them Mm -hmm. 
Well, and so I will say I have read this book, but it wasn't for school. I think I just read it for fun. But we'll get into that later. Laura, did you have to read this for school? And have you read it before and or? Yeah, I did not have to read it for school. I did read it on my own. And as I said, yeah, I thought it was negative and bleak. I didn't like the not happy ending. And I never picked up the second book. And I was like, wham. Uh, but I do. I remember enjoying the like technology part of it, like the futuristic technology, which is mm-hmm. like really not what you're supposed to get from the story. So um, I do remember that experience. Pretty sure it was middle school. Um, I want to kind of go into my little book fact, which is about the capital and also District 12 and Pan Am or whatever. And apparently it's like located. I read this on the Wikipedia page and I did not know this until now. But the country consists of a wealthy capital city located in the Rocky Mountains. They say I that in the book. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't That's... listening in that part. <laughs> also, I listened to this book, as per usual, and anything that I read in middle school did not stick with me. And then also District 12 is located near the Appalachia. So sorry it's not as interesting because everyone already knew that, but some of us are still learning. <laughs> it's true and it's fine everything's valid one of my um one of i guess that's one of the questions that i was going to bring up is that i'm like obsessed with the geography of, yeah. um, of where all the districts are and if you mm-hmm. google it there are fifty thousand maps and no one agrees um okay. i think i think my thoughts are right but i mean i always think i'm right that's why i'm me but <laughs> i'm convinced that uh district four um is yeah. like the entire eastern seaboard um those the and fish people? more yes those are the fish people okay um and then <laughs> but so but in order for my theory to work the districts are not actually numbered in order um right. because Good. four has to be um f- four doesn't have to be but i'm right four is <laughs> the eastern <laughs> seaboard and then uh district 11 is like Alabama, Georgia, the American South. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and they, and I, <laughs> I believe that for a number of reasons, uh, but, yeah. uh, and then what district three there, they make the tech stuff or district two, that's Silicon Valley. That's Southern California. Um, just cause I think that's funny. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> but I yeah, they're, this. I, I like them spread out all over. And then all the rest of them are just like various midwestern places uh but (laughs) i'm very solid on district 11 district 4 and district uh tech people because i'm not remembering which one oh which district is it district 6 that does um i'm why am i poking things i'm like making motions (laughs) district 6 is uh cattle that's like colorado uh um, they they do like live yes so they're livestock um Oh, uh, Joanna's district is, I don't remember what number she's from, but Joanna's district is, uh, they are, they're all uh, not loggers. I mean, they're loggers, oh, but they lumber. do lumber and stuff. And so I think they're probably, yes, they're all lumberjacks. And so that my brain is also like mm, Pacific <laughs> Northwest. Um, yeah, I have, I absolutely. have strong feelings. <laughs> I love this. I love this fan theory. This is what we're missing when we do shit like Catcher in the Rye and the Great Catsby. I know. How, I, we want to create our own Pangea map. Yeah, we need the, yes. the meta. Where's the meta? Laura, do you do you want to give us our little author fact? Yeah, I have so many facts, actually. I have oh, this one that God. somebody dropped into my inbox. Not a listener. I know that for a fact. Because um. <laughs> you don't know my inbox. Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently, according to the Wikipedia... 
Um, Suzanne Collins designed every book in the Hunger Games trilogy to be a three-act structure because she has a background in playwriting. Uh, I will say that I did not really notice the three-act structure in this book besides the, like, you know, like, part one, part two, um, which I always, in my brain, like, glide over those. Like, I don't really take note of them in any book. Uh, like, other top fact is that, so this blew up and... Suzanne Collins was named as one of Time Magazine's most influential people of 2010. But more importantly, in March of 2012, Suzanne Collins had written 29 of the 100 most highlighted passages in all Kindle books. So 30 per, 29% wow. of all Kindle of the most highlighted Kindle passages were her her words. I wonder what those were. <laughs> yeah, right? What were the 29 most highlighted passages? Yes, because there are definitely passages in the book where I'm like, I, I feel like when I when I highlight and I annotate, if I'm highlighting mm -hmm. something in like the Kindle book, it's going to be something that like hit me in the chest and feels like universally relevant um, to yeah. humanity. Um, or it's, uh, but but when I think about, you know, the age group reading this book, it was probably the first time she and Peter kissed. That's probably what it was. <laughs> yeah, they're like, let me just save this one later. <laughs> We're well, going to come like, back to this. <laughs> I feel like in The Fault in Our Stars, everyone's highlighting that passage where they're just like, okay, okay. And I'm like, why are yeah. you highlighting <laughs> But you know what I can give us also? The Goodreads blurb. Woo! For any of our listeners who have no idea what The Hunger Games is because they actively chose not to become a part of society in 2012. Yep, skipped that year. Which is fine. Like, honestly, sometimes you do. Um, it would have been a right. good year to skip. No, because 2012 was... no. Wait, 2012, no. I was in high school. I don't know where you were. In kindergarten, maybe? Or fifth grade? Me? Yeah. Ooh, in 2012. Burn. Dude, I was three years younger than you. I was... <laughs> I would have been in middle school. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. In okay. kindergarten, my ass. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I do remember, I think, in 2012... Well, in 2012, they're like, um, the world's going to end on December 24th First. or 25th. 21st? Yeah. 12, 21, 12. Well, then... The, the winter solstice. Oh. Well, that's embarrassing, because I definitely thought it was, like, the 24th or 25th. Christmas? And I have a distinct... I, yeah, I have a distinct memory of, like, it was Christmas Eve or something, and I was like, I don't believe in this, but if that's true, that kind of fucking sucks. Um, I believe 2012 was the year uh, Twilight Eclipse came out, which is arguably the best Twilight movie. Yeah! <laughs> Uh, that's true. Oh. Honestly, like Eclipse Slap. I would not um, say it's the best, but we can talk about that on a different podcast. <laughs> all right, fine. Well, okay, and I was also going to say, I thought that 2012 was when Beauty and the Beat with Justin Bieber and Nicki Minaj came out, but that's not, <laughs> because it comes out after 2012, because they mentioned 2012 in the lyrics. <laughs> So, I take it What back. an eventful year. Anyways. I did so much work to repress the existence of that song from my memory, and you have unearthed it. Well, anytime someone says 2012, I think of that song. Wow. you're gonna party like it's 2012 tonight. Which, now that I think about it, he was probably meaning because the world is ending. So, no. wow. Wow. We're peeling back the <laughs> Okay. I'm going to read the Goodreads blurb for The Hunger Games. Oh, thank God. Suzanne Collins. It is the first book of a trilogy. Um, of course it is. And here I go. <clears throat> Could you survive on your own in the wild with everyone out to make sure you don't live to see the morning? <laughs> in the ruins of a place 
Once known as North America, lies the nation of Pan Am, a shining capital surrounded by 12 outlying districts. The capital is harsh and cruel and keeps the districts in line by forcing them all to send one boy and one girl between the ages of 12 and 18 to participate in the annual Hunger Games, a fight to the death on live TV. 16-year-old Katniss Everdeen, who lives alone with her mother and younger sister, okay, that's not alone, (laughs) regards it as a death sentence when she steps forward to take her sister's place in the games. But Katniss has been close to dead before, and survival for her is second nature. Without really meaning to, she becomes a contender. But if she is to win, she will have to start making choices that weight survival against humanity and life against love. <laughs> End blurb. I kind of like the voice that I do. You, yeah, you're I've really showing off before. for Maya here. That was that was fantastic. You know what would make it great? Oh, your All the stuff that I'm about to say. <coughs> Sorry, let me get this clear. Okay, so this summary is wild because this world is wild. Our main character is Katniss Everdeen. 16 years old. So they live in District 12, which is a district known for mining. So they send people down to get coal, and I, I never mind. You know what mining is. Um, yes. And sure. in this world, no. the all 12 of the normal people districts are ruled by the capital, which is where the rich people live. Because long ago, there was a war where all these other districts went against the capital, and apparently this one single capital obliterated them. Uh and so they live under their rule. And the Hunger Games is the punishment that all districts have to suffer every year. As you mentioned, sending one boy and one girl between 12 and 18 to go fight to the death. Um, if you survive the Hunger Games as the victor, then you and your district, they get money, food, celebration, amazing, amazing things. So everybody does want to win, but they are very aware that it's all propaganda to uh, smother them. So Cadmus's sister gets pulled out um, at the lottery. So Rue gets pulled, Katniss um, volunteers herself in her place, and- You mean Prim? Ah! <laughs> yes. I mean, the- You're, you're the... already there. You're 20 chapters ahead of us already. Oh yeah, you're god. already making the connections. Oh my god, I am. Okay, anyway, so this year, Prim gets pulled uh, at the lottery, which is remarkable because many of the kids there have their name in the bowl more than one. I keep calling it a fishbowl because that's what it is in the movie. I think they say it in the book too, but what they can do to get more food for their family is put their name in more than once, uh, but then they have a higher risk of being pulled every year. So Prim only has her name in once, but she is the one that gets to go to the Hunger Games, except that Katniss volunteers instead of her. So she goes because she thinks she has a better chance of winning, one, because she's older and she's self-sacrificial, and two, because she's actually a hunter. It's technically illegal, but she and her best buddy, Gail, go out into the woods and uh, shoot with bows and arrows and traps and stuff and get real meat. So um, they're not vegans because they can't afford to be. <laughs> and then on the boy's side, yep. <laughs> on the boy's side, Peter Malark gets pulled. And he's just this guy who, uh, he just had bad luck. Baker and boy. Uh, his family is bakers. So Katniss kind of resents him because... One, she thinks that they're richer and happier than her. And two, because of that one single time that he took pity and gave her bread. And she thinks that she owes him a debt. So with that happy couple, they go off to the Capitol with Effie. I always get this wrong. Effie and um, that guy, Hamish. Hamish. Also Woody. 
AKA Woody Harrelson. I was going to say Woody Allen, but I was like, no, it's not him. Zaddy. Oh my God. Woody Harrelson. What's unusual is that Hamish and Effie put, like push Cadis and Peter together. They put them in matching outfits. They have them hold hands on public to make them look united. They coach them to hide their real skills in the arena because they want to keep their skills as hidden as possible so that um, their true deadliness only comes out. Um, they can keep that secret. <laughs> Except for the fact that Peta, at one of the interviews, just whips out this card and says that he's always had a crush on Katniss. And she's like, <gasps> so she's like, Peta's trying to kill me, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of interpretations. We're going to get into that. There's so many layers to that. Yeah, so they enter the games. It's batshit. People die, like 12 people die immediately into the games. They get like decapitated and stabbed and poisoned and all these things. Katniss does what she was told to do, which is grab some supplies and run the fuck away. Um, she survives dehydration. She drops a bunch of tracker jackers on um, her enemies, and except that Peta's with the enemy. So she's kind of confused about that, but she's got better things to do with her time. And she makes friends with Rue, who is a very young enter, um, sweet person baby. enters the game. She's, yeah, this small girl, and Katniss is so sweet with her. They make an alliance, and they make a plan to take down their stronger kids in the game. Some of these kids... Um, in this games uh, have come from districts that have won year after year. And because they keep winning, they keep getting more resources. And so they have better resources to train the next kids. Uh, these are called careers and they're all assholes, but they are also, they've also had a tough time, all right? So they've been hoarding all of their supplies in the middle of the, of the arena. The cornucopia. So, yeah, at the cornucopia, which I really hated having to read that as a kid. I was like, this is too big of a word to be in my book. To this day, every year at Thanksgiving, when we have to see all of, like, the, 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 you know, colonizer, pilgrim, harvest yep. thing, I think of this book. This book is the only reason I know that word. Oh, my God. Um, and I resent it, but also I'm grateful because it was weirdly relevant a number of times in college and at random trivia nights. Wow. Isn't a cornucopia in the Fruit of the Loom logo? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that's what, when I think about a cornucopia, I'm like, oh yeah, my underwear. I think of bugle chips. Oh man, I haven't oh. had bugles in a while. I'm like, oh yeah, the bugle thing. The witch fingers? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to finger dance. Okay, continue. Yeah, so where was I? Okay, so they come up with this plan to blow up all their supplies. Uh, Candace really shows her mastermind level thinking. Uh, and She's then she escapes. However, Gru gets caught up um, in a trap and eventually one of the careers kills her. And a second later, Katniss kills that person. So that is devastating to Katniss. She gives Rue this whole funeral and stuff to force the capital to acknowledge that they've killed a child. The game people announce that they are now going to allow two people to survive if they come from the same district. So now she remembers that Pete exists and she screams his name out into the ether uh, and then locates him again using her mastermind level thinking. He's been gravely injured because he was working with the enemy to protect her, and then he got stabbed, and then he covered that himself is. in mud so masterfully that no one found him for days. So that's what he's been up to. So she finds him. Uh, she bring, drags him to a cave. She, like, rolls him and drags him to a cave, um, and she starts to take care of him. But they have to play up the romance because, because of his confession, everybody at the capital thinks that they're in love, and they get more supplies and more little bonus packs, uh, from their sponsors if people like them more or are invested in their story because it's all a big t TV show. So they're smooching a lot. They're saying a lot of romantic stuff. Um, she has to go to this other, what is it called? The Feast? The Feast. 
had to get medicine to get real like top level medicine for him. Um, but she also drugs him so they won't stop her. It's a lot of messed up stuff. Um, eventually, there's just three of them left. You know, they all meet at the cornucopia. There's a lot of action that I'm skipping over here. This podcast is not a recap for you. It's for people who have read it and want to know our personal thoughts, which is no one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the third know. person, Kato, they sort of outsmart him. They sort of just kill him. He gets torn apart by mutations that look exactly like the people that the other kids in the game. And that is that haunted me as a kid, personally. Uh, and then it's over. So they're like, yeah, we won. Let's get out of here. Except they were like, take these backsies. Um, only one of you can win, so figure it out. <laughs> um, so then they, you know, in the classic move, they threaten double suicide by um, via this nightlock berry. And then they're like, ah, just kidding, spit it out. No, because they can't have zero winners because no one would like that. Um, but because they do that, they make enemies of everybody in the capital and they have to watch their back for the rest of their lives. But also they have to keep up the image that they're a happy couple because that's the only narrative that fits. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> the end. Fabulous job. I am genuinely sorry that that was so long. It's longer than usual, but I don't know what to cut out. It was very like... <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, it goes to show that this thing packs a punch. It is. This all came in a very small, like, young adult size book. <laughs> all right, let's move in to unanswered questions, Please. if that's okay with it. Do, 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 do. Okay. Great job, Laura. Thank you. I really want to hear Laura's questions, because I know you said you had a lot. Okay, and yeah. I, I think it's, I don't have any. Okay, I'm going to just rapid fire them, and then at the very end, we'll just yeah. talk about whatever. Yeah, they're all logistical. Whatever, okay. okay. Uh, what did Hamish and Effie do the other years of the Hunger Games? What did they do with those kids? Does everybody's life in the capital revolve around the games? Because they spend the rest of the year going on vacations to former arenas where people died. Oh yeah, in the movie, in the movie because I'm basing a lot of this also on my movie experience. I've seen the movie multiple times. Um, all of the, the entire arena seems artificial, but they have real animals. So do they like breed them in the arena over time or are the animals fake? You like shoot a deer, you open it up. It's just wires. It's You're just like, wires. Ah. <laughs> or it's just a hologram. I don't know. Um, so hey bitch in the beginning of her experience, she's trying to find water and she's dying and she doesn't know why Hamish won't like airdrop water to her, but it's because apparently he knew that she was just so close to water. So what are the mentors seeing? Do they get a little hologram map too of where everybody is, but only after the games start? Okay. This is what bothers me. They all, the entire time, all that Peter said to start was that he had a crush on Katniss, but from there, Katniss is like, now they all have to think we're all the... We're madly in love. And I'm like, that's not how romance works. They didn't get to see your reaction. What do the other tributes perceive? Yeah, what what are these tributes doing out in the woods? That's something that bothered me, but I think was a smart choice ultimately is that I want to know what these other kids are doing. Um, they only get three days to train before going to the games. Why three days? Why can't they get a week? It's like they really want them to fail and they do. They want it to be as messy as hell. I just think they should get a bit more time learning how to tie a freaking knot. I think that's because you care about them as people, babe. They don't see them as people. <sighs> You're like, you, you have to let the problems. children learn how to light a fire. And they're like, no, die. No, die. <laughs> no, we don't. Oh my God. Um, Katniss continually says, I don't know this person's name. And I'm like, don't you think that is like a little important is to know your enemy's name? But again, they only got three days to learn 24 people's names. So I don't really blame her for that. Learning their names is like, learning their names like psychologically would like fuck you up because then they become yeah. real people. 
Ah! And so it's better to just call her Foxface because isn't it much easier to think about how you have to kill Foxface than be like, I need to kill Angela. Like, that's terrible. <laughs> like, dead now. Like, oh, now we got to go for Diana. Sorry, Angela. <laughs> and then final question, which came up when you were talking. Okay, so District 13 is this infamous district that I think they had some key role in the rebellion, but... The capital destroyed them, and so no one lives there anymore. Uh-huh. Um, what did they do? What did they contribute uh-huh. to society? <laughs> because if they're missing, why aren't we missing their industry? Okay, I can answer did that. Did they only produce discord and malevolence? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you, because I was looking it up, and this also goes into one of my unanswered questions, but I have a couple answers to a couple of yours. Mm-hmm. First of all, District 13 produced nuclear technology oh shit it was okay it was it says before seceding district 13 was known for mining graphite but its hidden industry was nuclear technology so i'm my bad it was just graphite so i guess they just didn't have mechanical pencils anymore it was all ink (laughs) it was all quill pen that's part of why so i also listened to catching fire uh the audiobook after i finished this Mm, one because i was like i'm invested again i have to do it all over and mockingjay is waiting for me to listen to it now but um so i think that like there there's some implications that the reason why district 13 like rebelled is because they were the one with like a secret industry and they like know things like why are they building nuclear stuff if penem is the only country left because it's not the only country left what? because penem has some international shit going on like they acknowledge that penem exists on earth because it's in the space that used to be north america Mm-hmm. Um, but in order for this to be the space that used to be North America, what's going on on the other continents? Um, so why else would they be producing nuclear weaponry? It's because they're fighting other countries. So 13 was like figuring shit out and was like, we don't have to live like this. There are other people out there. This is a theory. There's some there's some stuff that's... to imply that in Mockingjay. But uh, like, okay. Yeah. I love that we have you here for these questions. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I've I was been like, thinking about God. this series for a decade. I was also very curious about the 73 other Hunger Games amusement parks because yeah, yeah they, like, that's a oh, lot of arenas. Arena, and then they like preserve the other ones. I kind of want to see some sketch comedy piece of like a <laughs> Capital family vacationing at like the fifth Hunger Games where they're like, yeah, they hadn't really figured out that sometimes like uh, the tributes needed like care packages and so most people in this one just died of dysentery and it's just like <laughs> and there's like a little plaque like tribute because they yeah they mentioned they preserve the arena and then they mark like locations of where things happen blah mm-hmm. blah and you know again there were 73 previous Hunger Games they were probably like figuring it out after the rebellion they were like alright now we gotta there were pro- there's probably some trial and error there's probably one where they're just like also we have to make sure that they don't have sex with each other also you know that like the first one was like the arena was like the size of like the coliseum like you yeah, know yeah. it was just like just put them all in the corner like, up above yes you. And, and they were filming them with like camcorders yeah because they didn't have like the tech yet i've been asking so many of my friends who have read the books i'm like have you read the president snow book because susan collins yeah. in the past couple years published a book from president snow's point of view and i don't think he's been president for the whole 75 years but with the tech in this world he could have been i don't know so i don't know how much of the my thing is i'm like i don't care about this man but i do care about the world building that this book and could do how it got to be where it is yes but it's also significantly longer than the other books the other audiobooks are 11 to 12 hours this one is 17 oh and i don't think i can commit that much to blood breath yeah. i can't i can't give that to him um <laughs> gross so at the end Hamish tells 
what's her face Katniss that um mm-hmm. like the capital's angry at you and I always I want to know because they refer to the like the capital's angry at you or the capital isn't like that all the time and I always want to know do they mean the leadership do they mean the people do they mean every single person there they definitely mean the institution yeah and I think it's because she knows because the sponsors the people she's like trying to impress when she's in the arena are the viewers mm-hmm. and like so you see it through like her prep team who they're super ditzy and airheaded and like they just care about like they don't see the tributes as people they see them as like characters their entertainment mm-hmm. and so for these like vapid randos to who are the only way who you can get help um if your options are someone an opponent who is now an ally has expressed that they have a crush on you your options are reject that person mm-hmm. and be like the bitch or fall in love with this person and be a love story for people to root for. So and so I think that's what because she's calculating yeah. all the time. Like she's thinking about that. That's why when he first said it, she said he makes me look weak because she thought it made her look like soft and innocent, which she already was. But um, like um, but it's but like she she knew that that would affect her image. She just hadn't thought about like, she was just wrong about how it would Mm -hmm. affect her image. So I think she got that like the options here are like be the asshole or um, be the sweet young girl who falls in love that everybody will root for. And that's why she jumps right into, I love you too, Peta, and I'm gonna give you all these uh, awkward ass kisses. Yeah, that's very gross. There's a lot of it. (laughs) Katniss is super calculated, Mm -hmm. but I will say I liked how consistent she how consistently mm-hmm. she was calculated about it because at first at first glance I was like oh is Katniss a pick me girl and I mean she is but she doesn't she is a pick me girl but it's not like her trying to be a pick me girl it's her just trying to survive and mm-hmm. and it was further reinforced as we see every decision she makes as this calculated like survival thing the mind games that she plays with herself yeah I will say yeah I think that a really strong point of this book and I know this is a takeaway is that Candace is a really good protagonist, like, period. But especially as, like, a teenage girl, she is allowed to be real. She is, like, smart as hell. She's a great problem solver and a very much a compartmentalizer. Um, but we also see her flaws. Like, she could not handle, like, gore and everything. Um, she's not a, she's not as good as healer. She doesn't like being around sick people. And she does miss these, like, and social And she's super parts. obtuse. Yeah, and she's super obtuse. Or, but, like, she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't understand why people can genuinely like her without having an ulterior motive as well. I, I like that all of those flaws seem to come from, like, legitimate places. Some of it being trauma, mm. not all of it. Like, um, she's super calculating. And I think, um, and that's not from... So there, there are other things she does that are like, you know, results of growing up incredibly poor. Mm-hmm. Um, but like her, her calculating mind isn't born of poverty. It's born of mm-hmm. um, like her experience in the woods. And like, yes, that's because mm-hmm. she has to feed her family. But like being in the woods is not traumatic for her. That's like home for her. Mm-hmm. And her comfort with her like kind of not being great in social situations is because she spent half of her life out in the woods with either her dad or Gail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, there's not a lot of conversation happening. She's just, like, very comfortable in silence. And that's part of why she does so well in the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think why her inner monologue works so well, because you've built a character who her entire inner life or most of her life has been her own inner monologue. Um, yeah. Like, if she's not caring for her family, then she's, you know, by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... And I could argue that Holden Caulfield has also been by himself a whole lot, mm-hmm. but he's insufferable oh, yeah. to <laughs> like, at <laughs> oh, the highest level. But um, but yeah, I'm I 
I would also, uh, you mentioned her being a pick me. I don't think she is because I don't think, I think there's, there's like a smidgen of internalized misogyny, but she's never like railing against other women mm-hmm. for men's attention. Yes, that's she's true. fully yeah. uninterested in men's and throughout the series like the both Gail and Peta who were like I'm so in love and obsessed with you and she's <gasps> like I don't want this guys like I see it mm-hmm. can y'all wait 20 years like she's like not into it wait quick note I also want to point out that there's a moment where like one of the careers name is Glimmer and she's like ah the people these the names these people give their kids um because Glimmer's from like oh, she's right I think one of the districts that makes like luxury items or whatever. Yeah, but mm-hmm. one. she also mentions that her name Katniss comes from like a, a plant or an herb or something that you could forage for. And I'm like, yeah, listen, you're just being named by stuff in your district. <laughs> like it's not different. It's the same, but that's all right. Katniss go off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think something yeah. that solidified it for me that they wasn't like pick me is also that she it's not that she's like, oh, PETA couldn't like me. Mm-hmm. It's PETA doesn't like me. And it's not because, like, it's not because of who I am. It's because, oh, he thinks the same way that I do. It's like she's mm-hmm. just assuming that everyone is in the same mindset as her, mm-hmm. which very Leo of you. But that's <laughs> not the case. Like, it's a lot of self-projection. She, like, she, yeah. like, all the time she's talking about, like, when they're in that cave, she, she, like, she keeps thinking about how he's such a better actor than she is. Yeah. How he knows exactly what to say to put on this thing. Like, she really thinks that he is as calculating as she is because mm-hmm. she thinks it's normal. She thinks this is how every, everybody's playing the game mm-hmm. to the same extent. And poor Peta is just like, I'm dying, but I love you. Yeah. Um, oh, I did want to, I did come up with a question while you were listing Ooh. your questions. I do have a question. Hit us with it. Um, so when, so she, she's already friends with Madge, like from the beginning of the book, like they're acquaintances and they like, oh, yes. a little bit. Um, but so when she gets, when she's being sent on the train and like everybody comes to say goodbye, Madge brings her, um, the Mockingjay pin. Yeah. But Madge isn't like saying goodbye. She's not like, she's very focused on making sure that Katniss has, she's like, you have to take this, it'll be your token, da 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 da. And yeah. she's like very insistent on it. And I was like annotating and I was like, what does she know? Because like yeah. we as readers know that this will eventually become a symbol of the rebellion. And that's like random. And it was just like, this is weird. But then she leaves it on um she leaves that pin on the dress that she wears to get on the train and she forgets about it until the day she until she's like going into the arena and Cinna is like oh i got this for you you left it on your clothes it's your token right she never told him that yeah it's just a piece of jewelry that she left behind and he's just like oh and that's why i was like what do y'all know this is what i'm saying <laughs> like there's something that was weird and so i think in Catching Fire, you find out that Madge's aunt was in Hamish's year of the Hunger Games. Okay. And I believe that pin was also her token. <gasps> so I can excuse Madge being like, take this, mm-hmm. like that meaning something Nostalgia, to her. Yeah. Right. Um, but like Senna, and we know that Senna is connected, like by the time you get to Catching Fire, you know that Senna is connected to the rebellion. You also know that Hamish is connected to the rebellion. And so they have all this insider information. But I'm like, Senna, what? How did you even know to go get that? Why? It's it's such a random like pull along that I was side was side eyeing. This is this time. what I'm saying because okay, there's those things you mentioned. The fact that Hamish like, is taking this year's training more seriously is implied than the other years. Um, again, what did he do with the other kids? But 
it's like he's giving them serious advice and like Effie's constantly hinting at stuff and they're pushing Katniss and Peeta to like act like they're allies and stuff like what do they know they're acting like this year is different so were they planning something and then these two just happened to fit it or did they meet them and they're like oh these two are the special ones because they're protagonists and like (laughs) I think it's um Hamish's like actual agreement to actually help them this time is that uh from the beginning he knows going in like that Katniss is far and above more able than any tribute who has come from district 12 Mm -hmm. probably in the 25 years since he was one um because like for the same reason that because like Peta, if Katniss wasn't there Peta would have been dead right Mm -hmm. Peta would have been dead day one if he was not there insistent to protect goodbye yes but so like Peta. Peta's survival is because he's attempting to protect Katniss and then she protects him. Um, but I think in like, he says from the beginning that his mom, that like his parents knew she was going to win um, and that she actually had a chance to win. And so I think when, when they are like, we can actually do this, Hamish, who was at this point definitely already involved in the resistance because we know by the time of Catching Fire that he's like, Mm-hmm. in on everything um but i think that he sees that there is a potential to save these kids in a way that he could not have saved the previous 20 mm-hmm. that he watched die Ugh. the hamish thing i'm yeah i'm kind of just like well i think it was an it right from the get-go it was he knew that the, something was different because it was the very first tribute to ever come out of district 12 and then katniss does have this reputation which, like she's the only one who goes into whatever it's called like the lodge or the the hob the hob, whatever it's called. Um, and then also something occurred to me. Peta's just named after the bread. bread. Okay. And I mean, I know we all knew this, but as we talked about Glimmer and yes. um, Katniss, my question is, what would your district, whatever name, first of all, what district do you think you belong in? And then what would your name be based on that district? I cannot keep track of 12 anything. I can barely keep track of the 12 horoscopes, so I can't keep track of the 12 districts. Do you want me to tell you what they are? Yeah, please. Okay, District 1, Luxury Items. District 2, Masonry and Weapon Manufacturing. District 3, Technology. District 4, Fishing. District 5, Power and Electricity. District 6, Transportation. District 7, Lumber. District 8, Textiles. District 9, Grain. District 10, Livestock. District 11, Agriculture. District 12, Coal Mining. District 13, Graphite, a.k.a. Nuclear Technology. But you can't, we're not counting District 13 because this is only the Hunger Games, the first book. We're not looking ahead. Okay. Um, What jumped out to me was uh, Textiles. And I would be called, um... Houndstooth. <laughs> Gingham. Oh my gosh, Gingham. I would love the name. <laughs> okay, you can name me. Go ahead. Um, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I was going to be called Silk. Silk. I was oh, thinking I can... Satin, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> Corduroy! That'd be... Oh, I'm actually I'm about to name all of my non-existent future kids yeah. after textiles. Actually, yes. oh my god, this is my child gingham, corduroy, and suede. Don't forget velvet. My Sims family. <laughs> yeah, so I'm silk. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a district in mind, but I was thinking like, because basically, when I think about what would my you know district name be, I just things that are that if they were not actual items they could be names and i always i think i like someone one time told me they're like you know if chlamydia was not an std (laughs) it'd actually be a pretty a pretty cool name 
So, I mean, I guess mine would be chlamydia, but I don't know where that puts me in terms of districts. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I would be District 4, which is like the ocean stuff, and it would be Marina. <gasps> yes! Um, that is the one I would pick for myself, but I do think that I would be assigned to District 11 mm. because I have a whole theory about how District 11 is the American South because they're all black mm-hmm. because it's uh, slavery and agriculture. Um, uh, and I've got yeah. textual evidence to back you that up, although about- I think she did it on accident. Well, because they talk about, they're like, yeah, we have field songs. I'm like, all right, well. Well. (laughs) Um, And then Rue also talks about how heavily they're policed. And uh, and Katniss is like, I mean, we're poor, but damn. And then in Catching Fire, when she goes to District 11 for the tour, everybody she describes, like Rue and Thresh's family, as well as like a couple people in the audience, Mm -hmm. dark skinned it. And then they Mm -hmm. also, they don't. They and she talks about how their houses are even smaller and shack like than Katniss's, and all this other stuff. And they're like, Oh, we're all this other stuff. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I don't know if Susan Collins did that on purpose, I haven't found any evidence that she did. Um, but that was how I read it. <laughs> uh, we could also, uh, in the in, in a similar vein, is when uh. Katniss talks about the seam, which is like the poor part, or the mm-hmm. the, the more poor part of um, the most people. Of the poor people. Yes, in in District Twelve, and most of them um, have a darker, a darker like olive toned skin tone and dark hair versus the merchant class, are mostly blonde and blue eyed and Aryan. Like it's a very mm. that was a very odd distinction to make for her to make, and then like just let it be, <laughs> and they're just like. She just says it and then moves right along. Um, strange. That was that was weird, Miss mm-hmm. Collins. I I'm not gonna ask you for an explanation because I feel like whatever explanation you could come up with would make it worse. So just we'll just let it be. It's interesting because I feel like it's such a fine line to walk when it comes to character descriptions because when descriptions in a book of a character are super specific I'm irritated um because I'm like first of all I'm not going to remember this and then you're going to reference it later and I'm going to be confused Uh, but also when they're super vague I'm like well now I don't know what's going on (laughs) I usually just they give me a name and then I'm already like in because I make my own personal connections like oh so they look like this and Mm -hmm. I ignore every detail that they've ever given me otherwise so they're just like Brianna and I'm like oh so they look like my sister and then they're like <laughs> they had short hair well actually they were bald all right they were bald brianna and i'm like nah <laughs> my sister's well, not, not bald right. so <laughs> i'm just gonna ignore that and move on time to pick a new placeholder yes yeah does anyone have any more unanswered questions otherwise we might find we might make our way into intended takeaways and judgments let's take it away <laughs> yeah Someone go. Chant be me. I will say that, okay, so I overloaded on questions for this book and I underloaded on takeaways and judgments. Same. I think that I, I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. I don't, I guess I don't know quite how to analyze dystopians because it always raises really big morality questions. You know, like what is really like the right way forward in these games? What is the, really the right way to live under the capital's rule and all that stuff? I will say uh, I did enjoy the melodrama. Um, I think Cadmus is. Uh, like I said, very strong protagonist, period, but also like will like fling herself into her bed if she thinks like she like her life is over, um, which like could legitimately be, but it's like I enjoyed that <laughs> level of it. Or like just ending chapters on like, I was a hundred percent sure that PETA was out to kill me. 
<laughs> At the same time, it was a horrifying book, and I gave me nightmares. Um, the mutations, yeah, the, like the animals that they made look like humans that they had killed. That's mm-hmm. horrifying. The tracker jackers, terrifying. Mocking jays or, j- or like jabber jays or whatever. Uh, first of all, jabber jays. I remember being confused about the difference between mocking jays and jabber jays as a kid, and I still am as an adult. And I ask you, why would you make two made up birds that are when only one is important? That's just a hang up. I hate all, yeah, all these have made up animals. <laughs> okay, so jabber jays are important in the in catching fire. In catching I know fire. there's that one scene, right? Yes, the and they are when 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 we talk about mutations, like the the werewolves yeah. freak me out, but the jabber jays like in the book because I just I was just listening to the audiobook yesterday and I was like okay. I'm a grown adult human who read this book when it came out a decade ago and I'm anxious yeah like listening to this like I hate it um and then there there are also lizard people <laughs> in the third book okay. Fun fact, it's horrifying oh my god um but 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 like in this one so they so jabber jays are the mutt and then they were they would use the jabber jays during the war um and then to like listen in yeah. on people and then fly back and spy and then uh the districts figured it out so they would tell the jabber jays lies mm-hmm. um and then so the so the capital was like fuck it just release them into the wild and they'll <laughs> die because they only made men because this book is obsessed with gender mm-hmm. um in a really fascinating way but um <laughs> and then uh but the, so all the jabber jays mated with mockingbirds and made mocking jays who just sing Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you have mocking jays in the first book and then you have jabber jays in the second book and then the third book is named after yeah them. no the 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 imitations are horrifying yeah. um also just the level I of think... violence overall like way higher than i remember really perceiving <laughs> oh yeah like especially I remember... the, yeah, the 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 servants who had their tongues cut out avoxes, avoxes yes. that's horrifying yes and i think that um there's a as in order to like make it a movie that could be uh pg-13 and like teenagers could go see it um they had to like dial some stuff way down um but like even the fact that uh in the when you the the big showdown when they first pop up in the middle of the games and Hamish is like you have to run away like you cannot stay there you will die um in the movie that scene is muted like you yes. can't hear anything you literally see like a 13 year old yeah. get their like neck sliced in the movie and so to hear that would like raise the level of horror or the scene at the end where they're sitting on the cornucopia waiting for Cato to die yeah. and they just hear him like whimpering the whole time yeah. like there's so much of the psychological stuff that they have turned down um and they like took out of the movie for for good reason but make going from the movie back to the book like so much more horrifying yes um but i'm like fascinated by i'm like is the is i don't know if there's a trope associated with it but the way that katniss is such she's an innocent in so many Mm -hmm. ways how when when she's doing the thing with haymitch uh and they're trying to figure out a persona for her and they're going through like passionate witty sexy like all these other things and you're like sexy she's 16 stop Mm -hmm. it but also like of course she's being sexualized she's a 16 year old girl Mm -hmm. in a dystopian novel um so she's very much like mid puberty like discovering things um and she's also murdering people Mm -hmm. um and so like the the juxtaposition and she also like almost died when she was 12 because she became the head of her household because her mom was like so severely depressed. Yes. Also when she's talking about her mom being depressed, I, my annotation says, uh, dip her balls in some thousand Island dressing. <laughs> um, I got depression. <laughs> and, 
but so like emotionally she has had to be so mature um and yet she's so like unprepared um like for all of like the the depth of the emotions that she goes through and i think that that's well done but i'm also like wondering about because it's not the born yesterday trope but it almost feels yeah uh like is she too innocent is she too naive for it to be believable for her to be this naive and also this calculating at the same time yeah i would agree like there are layers to her character i think it's like so well done i agree especially what you said about like the innocence thing because she's already like a badass she's like used to killing animals and like presumably skinning them and like cooking them and stuff but going into the game she is like i'll have to kill a person and that way like in the first time she does it it like weighs heavily on her like that is not nothing to her well because her first kill isn't it when rue dies and then she kills the the yeah i think that's the first time at least she like really perceives it that way she did drop that because it's the first one that's like by her hand yes the other ones are like oh i released but like I remember in the in the book, I do remember this. I don't remember Great. much, but I remember <laughs> that she's like that was technically my first kill, and she does it mindlessly too, because mm-hmm. she's because she does it in protection of Rue and like doesn't think twice about it yeah. until like a day later because she was like so wrapped up in caring for Rue and saying goodbye to her, and I wept mm-hmm. every time. It was Ugh, it gets me. It was rough, man. It does well in showing that she is like trying to process drama, but she also is not in a safe place to do it in the games. I think, especially, the scene that sticks with me is when she has dropped the tracker jacker on the people, but she's also gotten stung herself, so she's hallucinating. That is always, like, like, it's not just a, oh, fever dream, like, trip for me. I think, I don't know, something about that is, like, super impactful, and I can't fully articulate it, but it's a very impactful scene for me that, like, she's just fully in danger. She, like, at that point, she doesn't really have any allies, um, and she's really in the shit in this in the games when i think about intended takeaways and yeah. judgments for any dystopian i'm usually just like eh, it's usually like it's talking about larger institutions and mm-hmm. like things that we fall into and uh hyperbolizing something that is already pretty large in like our society but then saying if we take this to its most extreme and even to such a high fantasy extent like it's like anti-authoritarian, but I don't, but like the thing is I have a hard time thinking intended takeaways and judgments. Like, like you said, Maya, like why would they let us read this in, in a school? Because it's too fun mm-hmm. or like it's too <laughs> engaging yeah. in, in, in the sense that isn't so direct and dry. Like most academic text is mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. in middle school and high school. Like this is the one where when you're taking a group photo and you're like, let's do a silly one. Like this is the silly one. <laughs> But also, I like I do remember after reading this book that I never trusted media again. I was always like, they're acting. <laughs> this is fake. On every piece okay. of media, even the ones that are fiction. <laughs> this is this is a takeaway take not from this book, mm-hmm. so much as the transition from uh, mock the the Mockingjay book to the Mockingjay movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the book and in the movie. Katniss literally begins like working with District 13 to make propaganda yes. um, to like air in the capital and the districts to help, mm-hmm. air, you know, garner support for the rebellion. And she sings a song yes. um, in the background and they, they go and they film because District 12 has been bombed. Spoiler. <laughs> they go and they film like what is left of, you know, her home. Yes. And she sings a song about a hangman in the woods that song is then in the movie. That scene's in the movie. It's very moving. And what did they do? They put an EDM beat on it, and it was a top 40 hit. It was on the radio. 
I have like core oh. memory of being in the car with my mom. We were like on our way to dinner, driving down I-75 in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the song came on the radio and I screamed. I was like, what the fuck is this? Because it is literally a rebellion song about uh-huh. a man. I don't remember if he was, if he hung himself or if he is hanged for his crimes but it is like violent Mm -hmm. and it's like a lament from someone who cared about him and they turned it into like a pop it was it was exactly the song you're talking about i was like and my mom was like calm down and i was like you don't understand we live in the capital like i was like fucking (laughs) like mind blown yeah also they also produced um along with the movies you know every time there's a big movie like this uh they get like they partner with like cover girl mm-hmm. has a mockingjay yes. palette yeah. and it's like I, y- y- y'all no, don't you don't understand, understand. <laughs> no yeah it definitely so yeah it changed the way i see media and the way i see like pretty much anything public that people put up i'm like that has been altered there's a goal there's a purpose behind it bros this is the meme mm-hmm. that i was this is the meme <laughs> Pause. And if I can, I'll put it in the episode notes so everyone can know. And so I can, I, everyone can know. Everyone can be a part of this, but. Everybody's a part of this. <laughs> Everybody can join in. <laughs> Getting there. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to what? Oh my God. <laughs> this is. Oh my God. Literally it. We're going to what? We're going to what? <laughs> it's like, what have you, what, like, Imagine sitting down, like um, imagine working for CoverGirl or whatever other makeup company did this. Yeah. Sitting down, um, having watched the movie and looking at a color palette and figuring out what to name. Oh my god! Each, yeah. like, be like, mm, yes, coal miner. Oh, and the the gold is like Senna's death. And oh, like, yeah. like, what? Oh my god! Ugh, it's like it, it. It is incredible that in the in the production of in the in the production of this series that is supposed to discuss and expose and like force you to think about mm-hmm. um, capitalism and the control and propaganda, they turned it into like weird capitalist wild propaganda to like to keep you from thinking about it. Um, that's uh, that oh. was very bothersome to me as a teenager, and now it's just funny. It's just like <laughs> I'm like now this is just the world we live in, but. Teenage Me was having, like, a revelation. I will say, yeah, it's a deeper narrative than I gave it credit for. I will say my my last uh, takeaway is that it was wild to have a series where the one character who was constantly underestimated was the boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, because PETA understands how to manipulate the capital mm-hmm. in ways that, like, Katniss does not. Like, Katniss is calculating, like, the whole time. But when PETA is, goes on that stage and says that he has a crush on Katniss, it is true, but he is also very purposefully doing that because he knows that it will make sponsors like her more because it makes her look desirable. Um, and then in Catching Fire, Katniss gets threatened by President Snow, if you have not read it. Um, and he's just like, you have to convince me that you're actually in love with this boy. Um, and so they're, like, trying not to piss off the Capitol, but nobody tells PETA. And so when they... So he fucks something up and when they do tell him he's like you have to like i'm gonna keep messing this up if you don't tell me but the moment they tell him Peter is like on top of it when he goes on stage and catching fire and says um actually we already got married because we just wanted to have this and also she's pregnant yeah um and like he knows he has a very keen idea of like how to manipulate people but it is not as unfeeling or occasionally malicious in the way that Katniss is. Mm-hmm. Or I will say, so yeah, the romance gives me the skeebies because it's just so unbalanced from the start. And 
Um, I know, I mean, like, just I know the course of the story. I'm, like, sure that she genuinely does form um, true feelings. But, like, in the first book, it's like, yikes, this is all pretend. But uh, I do like that they compliment. They compliment each other very well. Because, yeah, like you said, that their strengths are in very opposite arena arenas. So they play out very differently. I was going to say, she, one of her strengths also is working with kids. Like, she, she her whole demeanor changes when she's talking to Rue. Um, like, she's so much, she's very sweet. She knows what to say. She, there's no hesitation talking to kids. Side note, I think that once, Ellie and I were talking about this earlier, um, that, so Kat, since we're seeing the book through Katniss's point of view, we don't know what the other tributes are up to. And I really want to know, like, what they're doing. Um, like, how it all played out for Thresh. Like, what actually happened during the storm and everything. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a smart move to stay with Katniss and to not give us that information. Because, like, she, I mean, if she doesn't know that information, she can't make decisions based off of that. So, like, neither should we, you know? Oh, um, beauty standards of the Capitol. I'm just kind of always a little bit fascinated by the way that beauty standards uh, come through in, like, dystopian mm -hmm. novels. I recently read The Bells by Donnell Clayton, um, which is a dystopian um, kind of set in a fantasy world based off of New Orleans. And um, it is, like, people are born ugly uh not in the scott westerfield way but in that like they're literally all born like gray and droopy and red-eyed um and so they have magical beings called the bells who reshape them and use magic uh to like make them look like human um and that world is obsessed with like the idea of beauty and the beauty standards are like constantly changing and evolving as like what's in trend because everybody literally gets to pick and choose exactly what they look like from day to day um and, but it's also commodified because you have to pay the bells um to get that beauty work done and so there's a lot of fat phobia in particular in that series, which, um, but the fat phobia comes from a very specific like group of people who are obsessed with being skinnier, but the greater society itself is not inherently fat phobic because the beauty standards are constantly evolving. Um, and you actually see like the villain is the person who's like, how do I make myself as skinny as possible? Um, mm. and so that, um, and so the way that changes, so like in this, um, in this one, I'm not sure if it's in the Hunger Games. I know it's mentioned in Catching Fire, um, but that uh, in District 12, uh, being a bigger person, being an old person is admirable because it means that you have had access to food. It means you've been able to survive to be elderly, uh, which most people don't get to do versus in the Capitol, um, they're obsessed with being skinny and having plastic surgeries and like doing all these things to look different and to look a certain way and that those... Uh, that in District 12, the beauty standards are based on value, uh, not not personal value, but like access and ability mm -hmm. to uh, like survive yeah. um, versus it is purely aesthetic based in the Capitol. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of just fascinated by how that pans out, because I think when you watch the movies, all of that, all of like the it's based on the aesthetics of like the colors and the ridiculous outfits mm. and uh, Elizabeth, what's her name's wild ass wigs. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's still like layers to that happening in the book that are fascinating. Yeah. Um, do we want to move on to ratings? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cool. cool. So, Yes. Uh, would anybody like to start? Otherwise, I will. Actually, I will because I've taken the initiative. You will start. And I'm on a roll. Good job. <laughs> I would give this... Um, I'm actually going to raise mine. I was going to say a seven. I'm going up to eight because the world building... I think it's very rare that the world building and character development like 
come together and they make sense and they work and build off one another. Uh, and this is one. It is really well done. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot about the praises. It's very easy to read. I did read it in one day. I might even read the next two. Finally. <laughs> 10 years later. 12 years later. I don't know. Oh my God. Do it. Do it. Um, I gave it an eight um, based on like the quality of it. I think that I to this day think that it's very well written. And like you said, like the world building is very smooth mm -hmm. um, and like actually enjoyable to read. And it never feels like an unnecessary info dump because mm -hmm. um, that happens a lot in books. Uh, but it is the OG. Like, <laughs> this was like the, my first dystopian novel. It was mm -hmm. like very formative for me. So I, and like for nostalgia reasons, I have to give it at least a nine, just Ooh, like out yeah. of respect. Um, and I can't give it a 10 because I don't believe that Susan Collins made it this good on purpose. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Eight nine-ish gotcha i will say the reason it's not a 10 for me is that there are parts that are rambly like there is a lot of running through the woods walking through the woods waiting around in the woods that uh could have been cut out like um i get this very like in the moment thing like you can't just skip a day in the hunger games um i rate it a seven i thought about also going up to an eight mm. but then i did think about it like i think the reason I like it, and it's higher than a five. The reason it's above average is I really do like how we stick with Katniss's, like, calculating mindset the entire time, and it is a character trait. It's not just used out of convenience. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Mm -hmm. um, I also really like, to me, when I was reading the first book, I think the romance really comes into, like, the third book and everything, but in the first book, it really is just, like, this girl trying to survive, and then, like, she uses romance to get to what she needs to do, but it's mm -hmm. it's not the the at the forefront mm -hmm. and so when i was reading good blurbs and it ends the last line of the goodreads blurb is about like life and love i was like ah, <laughs> the love's not really part of it i don't think at least not the romantic mm -hmm. kind but the reason it's not higher is because i kind of feel like okay i kind of have a problem whenever like characters are just like oh i'm hard to get along with except for when it comes to kids then i'm great with kids because i feel like that's <laughs> like a total protagonist writer move where you're like, mm -hmm. how do you make people like your protagonist if they're difficult? Well, if they get along with animals and kids or kids, then that mm -hmm. like checks off a box. So I just, I always am very apprehensive when a character, mm -hmm. I also, I don't like kids. So I'm just like, <laughs> that sounds fake. <laughs> how is that even possible? I do wonder just cause I stay, I stayed away from dystopians, but I did read Divergent. I wonder, cause I feel like the hunger games is not like other girls that a lot of other dystopians kind of, tried like to emulate the, the formula later on and didn't either didn't do as well or didn't stick out as much and i've not read many dystopians so i don't know if it's because it didn't have the same level of intricacy the same level of consistent characterization or stuff but i would be curious about that um if anybody has opinions i didn't like divergent because of the premise <laughs> that you only have one personality trait it's not good um, and so I will say this is not a podcast about Divergent, but I will tell you, I will spoil it for you, um, yes. is that by the time you get to Allegiant, which is somehow worse <laughs> than Divergent, um, you find out that you're right. You don't just have one personality wow. trait. Um, everybody is supposed to be Divergent, but the people who are in the city of Chicago, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where it takes place. Uh, the, the, the people who are in the city of Chicago have been like, brainwashed chemically changed whatever like dna altered whatever the fuck to um <laughs> like 
align themselves with one thing and the whole goal and the act actually like a social experiment that the government is like right the fuck outside watching them trying <laughs> to get them to like breed divergent people um so it's even worse than you think oh my god I think um, I think that the books that had that came out a few years after Hunger Games were so clearly heavily inspired by the mm-hmm. Hunger Games, and like the idea was like dystopian for teenagers. The way you can make a teenager understand that is to break. You got to break society up into groups. Yeah. So like that's how you get the twelve districts. That's how you get um, like all the the different factions and divergent. It was basically like y'all are just trying to like light sci-fi uh, Hogwarts houses, yes. and it's. Yeah fuck jk rolling forever but um it's like it wasn't that great when she did it and y'all are just making it worse um <laughs> and like it's, it's a little embarrassing to watch um because it was like oh teenagers understand clicks so we'll just do clicks but like for society mm. um and it was like y'all you can only do this so many ways and then we had like the huge blow up of like twilight mm-hmm. um yeah, and uh, that's when love triangles got real aggressive yeah. in YA. Um, and they were like, this is how you market it because you got to make people pick sides. And it's like, okay, but like, it's not well written. Um, <laughs> but I don't even mean Twilight. I just mean a whole lot of the books that were coming out at that time. Um, I mean, and I'm allowed to say that because I was the teenager it was aimed for. And it was reading oh, and I yes. Was I was then. a Twilight um, fan. We're, we're all Twilight fans here. <laughs> now we have kind of a different era of like YA dystopian that is like coming out right now that is basing the dystopians on real cultural on real like american Mm -hmm. air quotes societal issues um and those are also debatable on how successful they are um like Mm -hmm. i quite love i believe her name is kayla barron's uh cinderella is dead i really like that book um and it is the the basis of this dystopian is kind of misogyny but like it's successful in some places and not so successful in other places and so i think we've moved to a different era and they're trying to do similar things without um making it quite so obvious mm-hmm. and making it yeah. like quite so repetitive and like so tropey and i think i used to follow this account and it was like ya dystopian and it was just like stuff that you find in every ya dystopia like um oh like the cleaners are coming after me i gotta hide my sister something like that that's not one of their tweets but um (laughs) stuff like that and um the cleaners are coming (laughs) um yeah it's fascinating and i think i love that you mentioned yeah that it is YA dystopia because i forgot that for a second because there's a difference between the dystopians we make teens read like 1984 uh the handmaid's tale and everything and the dystopians that are written for teens book would you recommend based off of the hunger games it can be in it can be in complimentary to and uh loris already has an answer to Just you or any, oh no oh no <laughs> okay anyone can go Maya, first. You go. <laughs> um okay first of all laura eat my butt laura took wow. No, I didn't. You can have it back. Knowing that it was my answer, how dare they? Um, But (laughs) I was going to suggest Ray Bearer, which is a book that Laura made me read, but I told her that she had to let me use it. Um, But it is by Jordan Fuego. Um, It is 
it is a young adult uh, duology. Ray Bear and Redemptor is the second book. Um, and it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I highly recommend. And it reminds me of Hunger Games in how um, it is wrapped in the main character whose name has escaped me. Oh. Um, Tasari? Yes, the, the lore of like the world and as she begins to understand it is directly um enveloped of uh like a personification of her own mental health and she deals with the uh the emotional neglect and abuse from her mother hey mommy issues another hunger games thing um and <laughs> um as well as like her her anxiety and intrusive thoughts mm. and uh a smidgen of self-harm stuff uh, without being very graphic in that area um, but it is it is absolutely beautiful and it's also very much um, a love letter to teenagers and like the found family and the like very genuine emotional relationships that teenagers can build f with each mm -hmm. other without it being combative. And I just think Jordan Fuego is a genius and we should all be reading her books. Um, thank you for recommending me that book six months ago. Laura. You're welcome. I would agree with all that. It's an amazing story. Well, since I didn't have that choice available to me. I mean, you can recommend the same yeah. book. Well, that's my recommendation, but just to show my range, I'm also suggesting, <laughs> just to show off, I'm also suggesting Ugly Spy Scott Westerfield. Um, because I read that way back as a kid. That's probably pre-Hunger uh, Games dystopia right there. Um, mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. And I will, I, full disclaimer, there's probably a lot of problematic stuff in there. I don't remember what was in it. But the only reason I'm suggesting it is that I never finished the series. So I need one of you, yes, you, to go read that whole, like, I think, quartet and tell me how it ends. Because I'm kind of curious, but I'm also not going to read that. That's what you need your assistant for. Yeah, that's what I need my assistants for. <laughs> my, my assistant team. Yeah. My assistant, my sub-assistants. There's several of them. Um, my assistant to the assistant. Yeah, exactly. I'm not about to read that before I read Catching Fire and Mockingjay. Those are higher up on the list. In addition to my other things mm -hmm. on the list. And also the premise is, um, I think, so there's uglies and those are people, there are also human beings that before they're 16 and then when they turn 16, they get a bunch of plastic surgery and body mods. Content warning for that. The my character like is a reluctant participant in the rebellion, I think. And then everything goes wrong. And it's kind of, again, a pessimistic storyline which is also why I stopped reading it. But tell me how it ends, please. Nice. Um, I'm going to recommend The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang, which is part of a series, maybe a trilogy, I'm not sure. I have not read the rest of it. But um, it is a female protagonist who goes into a war. It's like, I listened to it, and I think it was like 20 hours long, or maybe like 17 or something. So she thick. I think I'm recommending it because when you talk when we talked about like the violence of hunger games like the poppy war also got hella violent and i was listening to it they're like content warning right now so if you're listening to it and you don't want to hear some of the violent stuff they say then stop listening to it or skip like 30 seconds ahead or something but they're like talking about like flaying babies alive and playing catch with them with bayonets or something and like dead stacked upon dead and dogs eating each other's whatnots and i was listening to it and i there were times where i was like I wonder what it would be like to read this and be able to just shut my eyes. Or I know I could always skip forward, but I'm like, oh, I'm helpless. I just have to listen to this. So super graphic. But the version that I listen to doesn't uh, has a podcast at the end where the hosts interview the author, and they do talk about how your female protagonist. There's a little bit of like romantic love, but a lot of it is, and you are similar to the Hunger Games. You stick with this. You stick with her 
inner like her internal thought processing there's not a lot of attention drawn to like beauty standards of the book and whether she's meeting them or not mm. there's also a lot of talk about sexual assault and abuse and because it's war and so they're raiding villages and you know mm. they're abusing women so lots of content warning on it but over and it was like a very long book very long journey but i i would recommend it man no i love all of the the good content we're getting from uh your I'm, wisdom yeah, i'm, I'm tagging these yeah. on my goodreads i'm like all right noted <laughs> those are all things i will read in the future but what are we all currently reading we'll have the guest of honor go first Ooh, i am currently making my way through as much of beverly jenkins backlog as possible if you do not know who beverly jenkins is she is an icon in romance publishing particularly of black romance um she does a lot of historical romance as well as some contemporary and she is a genius she is brilliant she is wonderful she is fantastic and i'm obsessed with her um and uh just as, as an example as to why i'm obsessed with her um when discussing the importance of black romance on twitter like in the past month she tweeted a tweet that it was like how did you give me poetry in 240 characters but she was talking about um, how she writes black romance for the way her parents loved each other for the men who walked across the south looking for their wives who had been sold and for her late husband who loved her like the earth loves the rain she tweeted that God like damn. with her thumbs like it was nothing um and so just know that that's what her books are like um and i didn't know that historical romance that i i didn't know that historical romance could make me so feel soft and sweet but to see uh black people in all areas just be like loved unabashedly um through trauma and also separate from racialized trauma is uh, a transformative experience so if you have any interest in romance or historical fiction um at all i would suggest um i would suggest beverly jenkins books particularly start with rebel rebel is quite good it came out like in the past three years so the only Beverly Jenkins novel that I've read, but I I think I recommended it at one point on the pod, is Indigo. And I was listening mm. to it uh, around the same time as Bridgerton. So I was getting both like my watch feed and my listening reading feed was just mm -hmm. a lot of romance. And I was like, I'm here for it. This is fine. <laughs> Actually, like normally, like I hate to say, I was like, oh, romance. But I was like, no, this is what I needed. And this was great. Yes. Um, I haven't read, I haven't done Indigo yet, but I have Nighthawk it has already been downloaded and it's like waiting for me. I'm very excited to read it. Uh, Laura, do you want to go? Yeah. So I've slowed my roll a little bit lately. Currently I am reading Pim by Matt Johnson and The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. I have many others I want to start, but I'm committing to finishing one of those. All right, Ellie, what are you reading now <laughs> currently in the moment? Today. I am currently, as always, reading Inside Story by Dara Marks for School, Animorphs, The Invasion by Kay oh, of Applegate course, me too. with Laura for our bonus episodes, our Bone Zones. Um, Noises Off by Michael Frayn. I'm still reading that. Blood on the Books or The Powell's Play by Nick Zagoni is another one I'm always still reading. Currently listening to The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Ooh. Nisha Filia. Mm. And I am reading Edith Can Shoot Things and Hit Them by Ray A. Pamet? Pa I didn't say that right, but... Mm. And lastly, we'll just move into Laura. What do you? What have you read since last time? I f finished since last time. Well, The Hunger Games. Then She Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, and The Bone Chips by R.J. Barker. I would recommend The Bone Chips. It's high fantasy. There are like dragons, but it's also piratey. It's a lot of like 
ocean maritime talk. Ships in this world are he's instead of she's. Uh, so it's fun and quirky, but it's also kind of unhinged because the world building just goes off the rails at some points. Um, Maya, you told me something was unhinged. It was, you told me Glee was unhinged and I've been using unhinged for like everything now. I'm like, I know. I was just like, we're using that word a lot, but I'm down. It's off, off the rails world building, but it's great. It's just that, what are we saying? Are we using unhinged like out of pocket? Because I've been using the phrase out you of pocket. You have been using lot, like out of, I've heard out of a uh, hot pocket. <laughs> the same thing has been said about Glee. They're just like, Glee was a extremely out of pocket oh no i was trying to come up with another i i was trying to formulate a, like in in a way to describe glee in any way that is not just straight up un like disconnected from reality yeah, yeah. Um, it's just a clusterfuck uh glee walked strut so that riverdale could <laughs> uh run mama seriously just... dude where you're like, here's this contained environment, but it's normal. Normalize this. Oh my God. And you're like, all right. Uh... Glee really said, what if we could get weirder and weirder every season? <laughs> and Riverdale said, I take your weirder by the season and raise you a weirder by the episode. What if we had serial killer D&D? &D? Look at this hat. I'm See, weird. It started off with, I'm weird. It started off with like, I wear a beanie. I'm strange. And then suddenly somebody's dad was being shot off in a rocket. Like, <laughs> truly. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. I don't understand the CW. Um, it brings me so much joy. I don't watch the show. I just like watching other people's. Uh, I just like watching other people's recaps of it. Yeah. <laughs> Since the last time I read "Small Mouth Sounds" by Bess Wool, which is a play, "Firekeeper's Daughter" by Angeline mm. Bowley. Bowley, not sure. I would recommend it. I also know that it is currently under development for. I don't know if it's going to be a limited series or if it's going to be a feature. Ooh. And then I read or I listened to Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Nice. Which, or Doer, I'm not sure. I don't know how to pronounce anyone's name. Uh, I, yeah, I think out of all of them, I would recommend Firekeeper's Daughter. I'm not going to lie, Cloud Cuckoo Land. I started off not really knowing what was going on. Didn't take the time to go back and try and ground myself. So then the rest, when I finally did pay attention, which is about like, two-thirds of the way through i was like invested but i was also like i know that i've missed a lot but i will continue <laughs> to trudge along and that brings us to the end of the podcast Woo! yay yeah thank you Maya, for so much for being on this podcast this is amazing yeah you have so much good knowledge and pop culture knowledge and all around wisdom it's awesome i have pop culture knowledge because i've never been able to retain a necessary fact in my <laughs> life but i could quote every episode of flavor of love if you oh my god it. you belong in my dramatic writing program because i am the opposite and i've retained no information about anything except for twilight barbie movies Ooh. brats live action and um not and a little bit action. of glee yeah other than that they're like it all goes over my head and everyone's like have you seen this and i say i haven't seen a lot of things that's my answer all the time. Gotcha. um i will say that if you enjoy a barbie movie i highly recommend jamming in jamaica <laughs> it was a mind scene movie it's only 45 minutes my long scene. you can find it on youtube yes. i highly recommend well, i might have already seen here. it um if i said uh spontaneous combustion <laughs> Um, but okay. I, my scene was my scene. I'll tell you that Ooh. right now. Yes, yes. Top tier. Yes. It was like Bratz, my scene, Polly Pocket, and then uh, Barbie and her bitch ass friends. <laughs> um, but, so, 
Um, if you are interested in finding me, you can find me on TikTok at, at thunder underscore reads or on Instagram at thunder period reads because somebody else has the underscore oh. and I thought about trying to buy it from them, but then I decided I don't care enough. Ooh. So um, come find me, come hang out. I make lots of jokes and I sit in my apartment and I make myself giggle. Yes. Uh, and it's wonderful. And sometimes Kogu the cat interrupts. <laughs> uh, you might've heard him in the background of this here podcast. Uh, he's in many videos. Come look at him and tell him he's pretty. Well, it might not be as fun to contact us, but you can um, at our Gmail or Twitter. Our email is readingnotreading at gmail.com, spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at sign readnotreadpod, at sign R-E-A-D-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-P-O-D. Tweet us. Look at you. Um, maybe one day we'll get a TikTok, but we're just not on Miley's level Scripps yet. Scripps National Spelling Bee Champ right Thank here. You, yeah. I've done it like flawlessly every time. And this, today's the first day where I was like, wait, what is it? Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll, one day we might expand to other social media platforms. But... Yeah, once we get our team of assistants to help us out with that. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah. Once we get our, once our team of assistants has been gathered, Laura's tea cup has been refilled yes at the long last ugly series has been read the poop has been excavated <laughs> from my butt that will go straight to the social medias yeah that'll be the fourth thing and I'm only then <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks you guys so much for listening oh oh never mind oh don't wait. thank we you also forgot no, to... don't be thanked i mean no continue to thank but also I'm, I'm not going to do too much explaining. Join us next month when we read To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Bookshop in the episode description. Oh, yeah, five books. Website. Tip. Back catalog. Commission. Episode notes. I'm us. done. Find us. Now, oh. Laura, thank everyone. Thank our guest. Thank me. Thank yourself. Great. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Maya, our guest. Thank you, Ellie, co-host. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. Flawless, wonderful. Say goodbye, everyone. Thank you for having me. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. On record. Thank <laughs> you.